0: we'll read from verse 35 it's on page 974 of the church bible considering uh, matthew chapter 10 together over the next few weeks and we saw last week about how jesus has been going around preaching and healing and as he's doing this he stops and he sees the great need before him, the need of the people. He sees the, the, the need that there is for, for harvest workers, people to go and, and preach to these people. He tells his disciples to pray for workers. We saw how Jesus then sends out his disciples to be those workers and to, to go to these needy people and to preach to them the good news that the kingdom of heaven is near. And so from chapter verse five onwards of chapter ten Which we'll be looking at more closely this morning. Jesus sends out the disciples to do his kingdom work. And he instructs his disciples on how to do that work. That's what we'll be thinking about this morning. And he gives some principles which are binding for all times. And some of what he says is specific instructions for those times. But the bottom line is we have here how Jesus wants his mission work to be carried out. We read from chapter 9 and verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles, or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Do not take any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there. And stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving... Let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth. It will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that time. We end our reading of God's word there. The so boys and girls, Isaiah chapter 35, page 719 of the Church Bible. Come to read this chapter this morning to help us understand uh, what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 35, page 719. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. and the hunt where jackals once lay. Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there. Nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads, gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Please turn in God's word to Matthew chapter 10, page 975 of the Church Bible. We'll be looking this morning at verses five through to fifteen. Our theme is how to harvest how to harvest. We saw last week the Jesus' famous words, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. After saying that, Jesus tells the disciples to pray, to pray for God, to send workers, and then God does send workers, He sends those men out to be the workers, to be the answer to their own prayers. The question we want to think about this morning though is how do we actually go about the work of harvesting? How do we bring good news to many people in Carrick? How do we reach the people out there to build up this church? How do we go about bringing people to Christ? How do we harvest? And there is a lot written today about, on how to harvest. There are manuals and blogs on church planting there are books on being missional, on being contextual, on being original, on being biblical. If you go on the internet, you can apply for intensive courses with experts to learn proven, successful techniques. And so there are many experts having their say about how to harvest. But today we want to think about what the expert says on how to harvest. We want to think about what the Lord of the harvest says on how to harvest. This passage that we look at this morning, we have Jesus' instructions, verse 5. And the word that Jesus uses, uh, or the Matthew uses of Jesus, it's an authoritative word. It's a military word. Here we have Jesus' commands. Jesus' orders to his troops. The Lord of the harvest is giving instructions, he's giving orders. It's his harvest, and so he determines How it's harvested. We're going to see today from these verses four things that Jesus determines about how to harvest it. First of all, we see that Jesus determines the mission. Jesus determines the mission in verses 5 and 6. Where do we evangelize? How do we decide where to go? How do we determine where to go? Well, we don't decide we don't determine. Jesus decides where we go. Jesus determines where we go. Look at his words. Do not go. Do not go or enter. But go. Do not go to the Gentiles. Do not go to the Samaritans. Go to Israel. Who were the Gentiles and the Samaritans? (coughs) The Gentiles were non-Jews. And the Samaritans were a particularly group of especially despised non-Jews and Jesus at this stage is in Galilee and so he's surrounded on three sides by Gentiles and on the other side by Samaritans and yet Jesus gives this instruction do not go to the Gentiles do not go to the Samaritans go to the people of Israel Jesus determines the mission If it's Jesus who determines the mission, why does he restrict the mission to Jews? Is Jesus a racist? Is Jesus not wanting the Gentiles to be saved? Why does he restrict the mission? It's to do with where we're at in the story of this book. In the book of Matthew and the whole Bible. And that story is that God's special king has come to God's special people. But those special people, the Jews are going to reject God's special king and the Gentiles are going to accept him. And Matthew in his book is particularly focused on explaining how the Jews reject him, why they reject him and what the end result of that rejection is going to be. And the end of the story is the disciples going to all nations. And yet this instruction is not to go to the nations but to go to Israel. And it's because of the particular point of time they're at. In particular place they're in the story. Here we have a particular mission to a particular people at a particular time. But now the mission is to all people. Now it's to the Gentiles and to the Samaritans and to the lost sheep of Israel. If you're on a world tour and someone gives you the advice or the instruction, when you're in the States you must go see the Grand Canyon. stunning it's beautiful you must go and see it if you're in the united states well that's a good instruction that's an instruction you're going to carry out you're at that stage but if you've already been in the united states and you've moved on in your travels to that you don't hold on to that instruction you're beyond that now you've passed that been there done that and now you're in a different place at a different stage and that's what we have with these words We're now in a different place at a different stage. So here for us the important thing is not so much the content of Jesus' instruction but it's the fact that Jesus decides where they go. Jesus instructs them where to go. Matthew 10 he says go to Israel. Matthew 28 he says go to all the nations. But Jesus says go. Jesus says go, and he tells them where. And so for us as a church, we need to seek his will. As a denomination, as a group of churches, we need to seek his will for where we plant churches and where we send people. Who decides where to start new churches? Jesus decides where we start new churches. It's not where it's convenient. It's not where we think is a good location or where we think it's needy. Jesus decides. Where do the seven or the eight college graduates go when they finish their placement? Jesus decides where they go. It's true for us as a particular congregation here, we need to seek his will. When it comes to the question of property, the key question we need to consider is where does Jesus want us to go? Where does Jesus want us? And we only get that answer through much prayer and seeking his will, but think of it positively as well, friends. Why are we here in Carrick? It's because we believe Jesus has sent us to be in Carrick, it's not because someone thought it was a good idea or it was a, a neat suggestion or a good notion that someone had. Jesus sent us to Carrick, it's true for us as individuals as well. As we look at our lives, especially when we're young people and we're thinking about where we're going to serve God we need to seek his will we don't come with the question and think about well where am i going to serve or where am i going to take this year out or what team am i going to go on the question we ask is where does jesus want me to go too often we set our agenda and we set our mission goals but rather we should be seeking his will through reading the bible and through prayer Jesus determines the mission. He determines where the mission is carried out. It's according to His will, but He also determines how the mission is carried out. Jesus sends the disciples out with a purpose. Don't go, don't go, but go. Verse seven: As you go, the emphasis in verse five to seven is on the going, it's on the activity, it's on the purpose, it's on the intention mission is to be carried out by going by activity with purpose with intention i think sometimes the church as a whole can be too passive in our outreach and it's a it's an attitude that i struggle with as well i think if we if we run these events if we have this meeting if we have these activities people will come if we give out these leaflets people will come and perhaps there's not enough going not enough going and bringing personally. And it's because the alternative of waiting for people to come is easier. Going is costly. It takes us outside our comfort zone. Being involved in people means getting into the nitty gritty and awkward and difficult situations of their lives. But friends, it's not enough to be a sentry. It's not enough to be a watch person without speaking out. You can't just be passive and wait for outreach to happen and people to come. We need to be intentional. We need to be deliberate. We need to be purposeful. We Need to go. Jesus determines how the mission is carried out. I spoke at our meeting a few weeks ago about different types of outreach, and we spoke about door to door. And door to door outreach has has good going. It's got good intentionality. It's purposeful. But it's a little bit random. It's a bit of a scattergun approach. Mission is not to be random. Jesus has given each of us a specific mission field. Our neighbours, our work, people in our sports clubs, the people we interact with on a daily life, on a daily basis, they are our mission field. Our ordinary life is the mission field. So maybe it would be helpful for us to approach our ordinary lives as if we were going about door-to-door work. With that mentality, go to work. Go to school, go to the, 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 the sports club, go to the, 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 wherever it is with a purpose to speak to people. Work up the courage like you would if you're going to knock on someone's door. Have your, your opening line and your approach ready in your mind like you would in door to door. Pray like you're doing door to door and be prepared to follow it up like you would if you're doing door to door. Or to be going people One writer has a phrase which I think is really helpful. He speaks about ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. With gospel purpose. Going. That's Jesus' instruction. And Jesus determines the mission. Jesus determines the mission. second thing. Aspect of the instructions, that Jesus determines the message. Verses 7 to 8. As they go, what are they to do? Verse 7. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Proclaim, preach. The focus in the verse is on the preaching, on the proclaiming, on the speaking. Jesus gives five things for them to do. Preach, Heal, raise, cleanse, drive out. Preachings at the top of the list. Speaking is first, but also it's the one that's expanded on. It's the one that Jesus expands. He says, "Preach," and here's the messenger to preach. And then heal, raise, cleanse, drive out. And the rest of the passage of Matthew 10, if you read it, the emphasis is on the disciples speaking. Jesus gives the message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus gives the proof that the message is true. Heal, raise, cleanse, cast out. The kingdom of heaven is near. That's the message. And the kingdom of heaven is near because Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And Jesus is near. Jesus is here. And the message is about him. The king of the kingdom is near. So friends, the, the point of going the point of outreach and evangelism is speaking about jesus speaking the message that the king is here what about the miracles in verse 8 as we go out to kayak fergus we would expect power for miracles well these miracles they're not just for the sake of doing good to the people they're not just even for the sake of bringing glory to jesus Jesus gives them power and authority for these miracles to point to three things. First thing is it's pointing to the fact that the king is here. That's why we read Isaiah 35. The Jewish people would have known that chapter and they would have known that when God comes, the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lame leap and the dead are raised. They point to the presence of the king amongst them. But the point as well, the spiritual realities. If you flip back to chapter 8 verse 17, Jesus, uh, Matthew speaks about Jesus' healings. And he uses the language of Isaiah 53 verse 4. But Isaiah 53 verse 4 is about Jesus' work in dealing with sin and iniquity and the cross. And so the miracles are part of the work of the cross. They're pointing to the spiritual realities pointers as well to jesus work matthew picks his language in verse 10 to take the readers back to chapters 8 and 9 where jesus himself has gone around making the blind see and giving hearing to the deaf and raising the dead and causing the lame to leap and the mute to speak so you see friends that these miracles here have a specific function at this particular time in history the miracles are important. But the message is more important. The miracles point to the message. And the message is. The king is here to save. The king is here to save. It has to be our message. And if we don't speak that message. Then we're not doing harvest work. Social events. Being friendly to our neighbours. It's not evangelism. Speaking of Jesus and his saving work is evangelism. And so at our coffee stop, in our Champions League, in our friendships, in our clubs, we must get to the point where we speak about Jesus. And it's not to write off friendship and other works. Some work is necessary to prepare the way. Some work, uh, uh, deeds are necessary to, to show the glory of Jesus. But we must speak. We must speak. I'm not in any way contradicting anything David said at the church weekend. We are to be mighty in word and deed. But friends, word is primary. Romans ten seventeen faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of Christ. We must speak this message. People must hear this message if they're to be saved. And the message is the kingdom of heaven is near. The king has come to save. That's the message we take to the people of Carrick. The king is here to save. Jesus determines the mission. Jesus determines the message. Thirdly, Jesus determines the means of support. Verses 9 to 11. Jesus determines the means of support. Verse 8 this message, this good news, is to be spread. Jesus tells them to spread it freely. It's not a chance for them to make money. They've been saved at no cost to themselves. And so to pass on this message at no cost. They're to do good because they've received good for nothing. Not to do it to make money or to make a name for themselves. But why these instructions in verses 9 to 11 do not take gold, silver, belt, bag for your journey, extra tunic sandals, staff. Well the key is in the end of verse 10. The worker is worth his keep. Jesus gives these instructions to teach an important principle. The worker is worth his keep. It's recognised all over the world. At my auntie and uncle's caravan park down in Kilkenny, during the summer, the busy season out of many, many people from all over the world coming and working with them for the summer in their campsite and open farm. And at lunchtime, they would all gather round the table for lunch provided by my auntie. All over the world, this principle is recognised. You do a day's work, you get paid for it. Worker is worth his keep. And there's a beauty about Jesus' instructions for, for mission work. Verse 8, the goers should go because they freely received. And those that receive should provide. There's a balance here. We can go and we can be free from self-interest, but needs should be looked after. And we can be free from self-interest as we go, because God has commanded his people to provide. A minister does not preach to put bread on the table. But as he preaches, he shouldn't have to worry about bread being on the table what about the odd words of verse uh, 9 and following as i think about the size of my luggage for australia and the size of the average bag packed for a go team what do we have here binding principles for mission work today or specific instructions for that particular mission i think they're particular specific instructions for that particular mission verse 9 do not take The shade or the nuance of the word that Matthew uses is do not acquire. And that's how some Bible versions translate Do not acquire. Jesus assumes they will already have these things. They're not to get more. They're not to go and buy more. And then in Luke 22 verse 35 at the Last Supper later on, a later stage in Jesus' ministry, Jesus says, remember when I sent you out and told you not to take these things. Now when you go, take them. So these instructions, these specific instructions are for this mission alone. And it's because Jesus is laying down this principle. The worker is worth his keep. That's what we're to get from this. The worker is worth his keep. The one going to preach is worth his keep. Are you a member of not giving to this church, not paying your tithe? Even the world acknowledges the worker is worth his keep. Do you enjoy the teaching of this church and the fellowship of this church, but you're not giving? Even the world acknowledges the worker is worth his keep. We spoke last week about the need of the world and people living and dying in remote parts of the world who've never heard the gospel. People living and dying in Ireland who've never heard the gospel. They need workers to go. And preach so they can hear and believe and call. But those workers need supported financially. If we're going to be a church planting denomination, it's going to be a drain on our resources. It's going to be sacrificial, it's going to be costly, it's going to be painful. But workers are worth their keep. We have here in Carrick a man sent to preach the gospel. Friends, it's our duty to support him. It should be our goal. To be supporting him. And we deacons. Should be leading this church. To being self-supporting. And that should be one of our priorities. The worker is worth his keep. How much should we give. For the the gospel work. The bible teaches. It should be proportional. Those who earn more should give more. It should be sacrificial. We should feel it bite in our pocket. Above all. It should be grace fuelled. The Old Testament believer gave a tenth. That's a good baseline. But look at it this way. If the Old Testament believer gave at least a tenth. How much more should we be giving? The Bible makes it clear that we have a richer, fuller, deeper understanding, knowledge and experience of the grace of God. The new covenant, what we receive from God in blessing... Is better than the old covenant. So, friends, should we not be giving more? We've received more. And in his Son, God gave the most he could give. That was grace fuelled giving. For giving to be grace fuelled, Jesus determines the means of support. Perhaps that sounds discouraging. Well, here's the encouraging part of it. Because I believe that this giving for the, to support the preaching of the gospel is a great privilege. Let's look at it this way. It's mission work by proxy. People are being saved, will be saved, because you gave. Because you gave. Even though you've never been, you've never seen them, you've never spoken to them, you gave. Men, You're not any less valuable as a manual labourer or sitting at at an office desk working than someone in seminary or in Bible college because you make it possible for the gospel to be proclaimed. And so in your work, work hard. John Wesley said, Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. It's a good rule of thumb. And be encouraged as a, as a congregation because you do support. You do give. Jesus determines the mission, the message, the means of support. And lastly, Jesus determines the momentousness of the mission. Jesus determines the momentousness of the mission. Workers should be provided for. In verse 13, there's a blessing in providing for the workers, there's peace. In verse 14, Jesus speaks of the danger in not providing why blessing for providing and danger and not providing it's because the treatment of the messenger is how you treat jesus how you treat the messenger is how you treat jesus the disciples were to go and greet them with the customary greeting peace be upon you let your peace be on them and if they're deserving if they're worthy if they're welcoming they're to stay and they're not to attract their greeting if they're not deserving if they're not worthy if they're not welcoming Retract your greeting and go. Shake the dust off. This is what a Jew did when he left Gentile territory. He'd take off his sandals, he'd bang them together, and shake the dust off. And this was his way of saying, I'm separating myself from your pollution and your sinfulness. A symbolic act, like Severing the smallest of ties. I don't even want your dirty dust on me. And yet Jesus takes that And he says, when you go to these Jewish towns and they refuse me, you shake the dust off your sandals and you show them they're as bad as the Gentiles, as bad as pagans. And it's because refusing the messengers is refusing Jesus. And friends, that's what makes our evangelism, our outreach so momentous. We stand as ambassadors of Jesus. As we go to Carrick, we stand in his place. And how people respond to us, is how they respond to Jesus. So at the water cooler tomorrow as you speak to people, you stand in Jesus' place. During family worship, you stand in Jesus' place as his messenger. At Friday nightclub, Sabbath school, you stand in Jesus' place. And verse 15 is shocking and we need to get it first and foremost as messengers mission is so important so momentous that refusing the messengers is worse than the sins of a town that had to be destroyed by a cataclysm it's worse than the sins of a town where there weren't even ten righteous people the sins of a town That was so bad it had to be overthrown in a single night. Refusing Jesus is worse than Sodom. Sodomy is not the worst sin. Christians often present homosexuality as if it is the worst sin. We think of Sodom and Gomorrah as the pinnacle of God's judgment. Friends, there's worse. There's worse. Those who reject Jesus will be dealt with more severely than Sodom and Gomorrah refusing Jesus is worse than Sodom your kind generous good living neighbours who have heard the gospel think they have no need of it who think they are okay on themselves are going to be punished more severely than the homosexuals of Sodom refusing Jesus is worse than Sodom people who have sat in church all their lives, who have given a tithe of every uh, wage they've earned, never done anything bad in society, and yet who don't come in repentance and faith, They're going to face the worst of God's wrath on the day of judgment. Refusing Jesus is worse than Sodom. This is how momentous our mission is. Just as I finish, I want to speak to those to whom the message comes. We've thought of these words and the relevance to us as the messengers, but now as those to whom the message comes, because it's a momentous mission, mission, and how we respond then is momentous. And those who receive the messenger, and who receive the message you provide for, who welcome, who receive, It's not money for nothing and welcoming them and supporting them you're welcoming jesus in verse 13 to welcome them is to bring blessing to bring peace brings peace because the message the messengers bring is a message of peace message of peace with god message of peace with ourselves message of peace with others peace from war with god peace from turmoil of conscience peace from fighting with others a message of eternal peace so how we receive is momentous and if there's anyone here today who refuses the message you need to heed Jesus' warning you face more punishment than the sinners of Sodom and Gomorrah why is it so much worse because you're rejecting the Saviour who gave us life so that you might be saved. You're rejecting the God who gave Himself so that you might live. Ignorance is one sin, refusal is far, far worse. And you are turning your back on the One who will heal all your sicknesses in glory, who will raise you from the dead on the last day, who will cleanse you from all. Your sinful uncleanness will destroy the satanic forces bombarding you. And you've said to that one, I'll do it my way. And you've rebelled against him. So to be here today and to see in your mind's eye the crucified yet risen King of glory. Holding out his hand to make peace. Holding out life in all of its fullness. A life of knowing him, a life under his rule to reject that that's the greatest sin of all Amen Father we pray that you would fill our minds with your glorious splendour and your majesty And that we would dwell on and reflect on the the things that you have done. Your works that excel in glory. Lord we pray that that then as we think on the awesome things that you have done for us in saving us. That it would overflow. And it would just come pouring out of our mouths. Lord we pray that we would be people who go and who speak. And people who are are quick to speak of our saviour. And who speak naturally of our saviour and who speak naturally of the fact that the king has come to save lord make us intentional as we go about our everyday lives we pray you would enable us to better support financially the work here and further afield lord we pray that you would grant to us a sense of the momentousness the seriousness of what we do that we would see that the people surrounding us in work in our homes in our daily lives are more danger than those of Sodom and Gomorrah Lord we pray that it would drive us to speak and to tell and to declare your glory and your work and your praises for we ask these things in Jesus name and for the advancement of his kingdom here. Amen.